Well, let's take a, take a reading here from the, uh, Paul's letter to the, Corinth, to the Corinthians, to the Romans. Romans chapter 12. And I want to read verses 1 to 8. 1 to 8. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I'm going to trust the Lord to add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, I'm going to give you a sermon entitled, Transform, the, the Transforming Renewing Mind. The Transforming Renewing Mind. Now, in verse number two, we see the phrase, the renewal of your mind. The apostle is calling upon the Corinthians to not be assimilated or conformed into the age in which they lived, but rather to be transformed into something different. The best natural illustration of this metamorphosis that we know of is how the caterpillar transforms into a butterfly. Now, that is an amazing change, isn't it? You guys remember watching that on Nova or television when you were a kid on PBS, watching how that takes place? Such a cool thing. Now, that amazing transformation takes place, and it looks supernatural, but it's not supernatural. It's natural. But the transformation from the fallen, unregenerate person into a regenerate, living, born-again child of God, that transformation is supernatural, and it's not, it's not something that you're, you grow into. It's something that takes place through the Holy Spirit. Now, the apostle is writing to Christian people, people who've been born again, and he tells them to take an active role in their transformation. So, the, the phrase, the renewal of your mind, or in some translations, the renewing of your mind, implies that our minds need renovation. And the tense of the verb indicates that this transformation, not the transformation, but this renewing of the mind, this making new of the mind, this renovation of the mind, is an ongoing thing. It's something that never, never stops. Something that you have to keep, you have to keep on doing. Now, this change of mind takes place because of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. The old has passed away, and you are become new. A, something dynamic has taken place inside your life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says we're new. Been made new. Do you remember what it was like when you hated God, hated church, hated Christianity? Anybody remember those days? You didn't really care a lick about it. Maybe you didn't have antipathy towards it. Maybe you were just indifferent and you didn't really care. But then, 
one day, out of the blue, a finger from heaven came down and jabbed you right between the eyes or right in the heart, and you had a different attitude about God and about the Bible, about Christianity. Something, something, something happened. Some kind of transformation took place. You were born again. And that's what happens. It, this transformation, it begins with the new birth. If you're here this morning and you don't give... If you don't give a hoot about God at all, it's because you're, you're probably not a Christian. And you really need to think about that because the implications of that are serious, aren't they? If you're here and you're not a Christian, when you die, you're going to pay for your sins forever in a place called hell. Now, some people don't like the teaching of hell. I myself do not like the teaching of hell. And the Bible seems to indicate to us that when people go to hell, they go there forever, and it's eternal, conscious torment. Eternal, never-ending, conscious, you know what's happening, torment. Like winter forever. <laughs> like unending football season, right? <laughs> Just horrible. That's what the Bible seems to teach is that it lasts forever. And if you die without putting your personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's, that's, your, that's your future. But if you put your faith and trust in Christ, well, then it's the exact opposite. Eternal, wonderful joy. Eternal, wonderful joy. If you put your faith in Christ. And so but this, it, that all begins with the new birth. Paul says the same things in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. This new nature, this, this new birth that's taken place comes with a new desire, a new ability even to obey God and to live for Him and to please Him. Now, this desire comes with responsibilities. Now, it doesn't look to me like the Holy Spirit when we're born again from experience, from, ex, from an experiential perspective, it doesn't look like the Holy Spirit automatically overhauls us and causes everything we do and want to do to be honoring to God. Now, I know that's true biblically. I also know it's true experientially because I'm still wrestling with my old man, with my fallen nature. I am still tempted to sin every single day. And now, now you've got to be careful with people sometimes. People say dumb stuff like this. No true Christian wants to sin. That is a lie. And anybody who says it speak with forked tongue. They're lying to you. You not only are tempted to sin, but sometimes you want to sin. And you know it. Because you have to restrain yourself. Because there's these two natures at war within you. And so while the Holy Spirit comes to us and regenerates us, where there is still a part we have to play. We have to intentionally and purposely put into practice Christian behavior. We have to take an active role in this transformation, in this renewing of the mind. Now, just to show you, here are some examples. Take your Bible, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 9, and listen to God's word here. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. For this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and, with, and virtue with knowledge and, 
Knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection. And I think it's funny here that he tells us to be careful to love each other. Now, why, why does he have to tell us to love each other? Because it's hard sometimes to love each other. The Bible says this, husbands, love your wives. Sisters, how does that make you feel to know there's a divine imperative? God says, husbands, love your wife. And then another place it says, husbands, do not be bitter against your wife. Then there's my favorite parts of that, the other side. Wives, obey your husbands, amen? You guys are all chicken. <laughs> I thought it would be a louder amen for that. There's all, these, there's all these things we're supposed to do. We're told to do them, and God has to tell us to do them because we're tempted to not do them. You see? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 through 32. Let's turn there and, and take a look at that. Ephesians 4. Listen to the reading from verse 21. Assuming... That you have heard about him, that's about Jesus, and were taught to him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and its corruption through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self. So here the apostle says, you need to put off the old way and put on the new way. I was preaching at a church in Louisiana, Missouri one time, and they sang this little chorus. Oh, the best thing in my life I ever did do. Oh, the best thing in my life I ever did do. Oh, the best thing in my life I ever did do was take off the old robes and put on the new. That's, that's classic stuff right there. <laughs> we have to be careful we don't get copyright for that one. <laughs> There, there is, we have to put on these things intentionally. You kind of got to dress yourself mentally to live this way. It's not easy. Every day, take it on. Put off that old way and put on the new day after day. Now, when I was a teenager, I used to always, uh, every summer we go to teen camp, which I loathed. Because it was just a total buzzkill to go to teen camp. If they let us smoke in the dorms, it would have been a lot more fun. <laughs> but when you go to teen camp, you know. I'll tell you, you guys want to hear a funny story about teen camp? This is a real hoot. My mother, you know, my mom and dad, when I was a kid, they were tighter than the bark on a log. I mean, they with money. And uh, my, most of my clothes came from yard sales and Goodwills. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But one time, my mom hit a honey hole of a yard sale, and they were selling 501 Levi's jeans, the button fly ones. Man. And they were in my size, too. And I wound up with five pair of Levi's 501s. And they weren't that ugly new blue color, either. They were worn broken in just right and man they, i wore them all the time when we got ready to go to teen camp my mom she said don't take any of those button fly pants and i said 
Why? She said, just don't do it. I said, okay. So, being the teenage boy that I was, I stuck a couple pair in my suitcase anyway. In fact, that's all I took. Because that way, when she said, change your pants, what are you going to say, guys? That's all I got. <laughs> Had her over a barrel. Well, that week at teen camp, it was like every single sermon, there was, every single time we got together, there was a session, somebody was, was preaching against dipping snuff. Every, it's constantly. Dipping snuff. And then when I got home, my mom, she took me and she gave me a spanking for taking those pants to teen camp. Because guess what was on the back left pocket of all those pants? Skull ring. <laughs> so all week long, my preacher dad, you know, <laughs> thought his son, he can't control me, dips snuff all the time. So you have to take, and I would, you know, you rededicate yourself at teen camp every summer. And, you know, I thought, and for a while, I thought that's the only place you could get right with God was at teen camp. But I found myself as a Christian man now getting right with God all the time. All the time, recommitting myself, recommitting my life to Him. Recommitting, re-upping, you might say. So this transformation, this renewing is in the mind something we have to take an active role in. And we have to continue to work on our minds because the unregenerate self is bad. That's a bad mind. And Charles Hodge says in his commentary that we need a change of heart. We need an altered mind. We need a new way of thinking. Now in chapter 12, verse 1 here, the apostle says, we need to present our whole selves to God as a sacrifice, give up our whole person to Him to sacrifice ourselves to God. Not to kill ourselves or or beat ourselves into submission, but to just say to God, God, I am yours. Do with me as you will, and I'm going to try to live for you the best I can. And so verse 2 tells us that we're not supposed to live like the age we're in. Don't be conformed to this age we're in. So we need to get busy applying Christian beliefs to our lives. We've got to get busy. We've got we to gotta get off the couch and get in the spiritual gym and apply these things to our life. Now, to do that, we have to know some things. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we have to know some things. Now, God has given us His His revealed will in His Word. And it is in the Word of God where we find our instructions for daily living. This is where we find out how to be a Christian is from God's Word. When I was a kid growing up, they'd always say, If you want to know how a Christian lives, ask a lost person. They'll tell you how a Christian lives. And as a kid, I thought, well, that probably makes sense. But that's dumb. Because lost people, they never give Christians an even break, do they? They hold us to unreasonable standards. They make up stuff, too. What you need is is a divine instruction. I want to know what God wants me to do. And if God wants me to do it, then I'll do it. If it's just you want me to do it, well, you can go suck an egg. Because I don't want any part of it. I don't need another boss. (laughs) I don't need another governor. 
I just want to do what God wants me to do. Because I, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 1, if I cease to please God, if I try to please men and not God, that I cease to be the servant of God, I'm a servant of man. I want to serve God. I want to live a life that honors God. I don't want to get to the last day and have him find out, hey, you did a real good job living like your dad told you. I want to get there and find out, I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, because you did what I told you to do. The only way I can know what God wants me to do is from the Bible. That's the only way. It's from the Bible. The Bible is not in error. And so we have to look at God's Word. We have to learn about God and what He wants from us from His Word. And we have to be able to test things by His Word. Now, God's Word is fairly specific, and it's also fairly flexible in principle. It's flexible in principle. I say that because God's Word and what it says in principle can be applied at any time in history and any place on the earth. So that means that a Christian man who lives in Guatemala who is following God's word, and a Christian man who lives in China who is following God's word, they'll both wind up living in a similar way because they're both following one divine, unerring standard, God's word. God's word. That doesn't mean they're going to eat the same food or wear the same clothes, but their conduct will be similar because they're following the divine imperative. And you and I, even though God's Word is an ancient text, we can still follow it today in 2023 because God's Word is true. And true, truth is truth wherever you find it. I mean, two times two is six here and in China, right? No, I'm just testing you. I'm just testing you. Two times two is what class? It's four, and it's same here and in China. True everywhere except Washington, D.C., probably. <laughs> now, our mission here is to think better. And to do that, we need to appreciate God's Word. Now, here's where I'm going to bust your chops, okay? You need to appreciate God's Word. And we can know you appreciate God's Word when you give yourself to knowing God's Word, being familiar with it. You need to be reading God's Word every day. You need to be finding a way to read it. You need to get, get busy. Now, I put down here to say the following things. Number one, you have the time. You got the time. If you got a TV, I know you got the time. If you got a Facebook account, <laughs> I know you got the time. If you got a fishing pole, I know you got the time. If you got an air hockey table in your basement, I know you got the time. <laughs> now, sometimes when we start talking about reading books, you know, not everybody is a book person. Anybody here say you don't really? No, don't raise your hand. That would be a dumb thing for me to do. So, not everybody is really bookish. You know what I'm saying? Not everybody really likes to read. And, and, and I get that. And so, we're not, I'm not saying you've got to become a scholar. I'm saying you need to get familiar with God's Word. 
there's kind of a little, a little acronym uh, for, for the Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth, you know. You ever heard that old thing, the B-I-B-L-E? God's Word is really good, has some good stuff in it. And I'm not even saying you've got to read the whole Bible. There, you're off the hook. Three books of the Bible you really need to work at knowing. Three books of the Bible you need to know, probably. Genesis, the Psalms, and I would say Romans. These are the three you really need, you really need to work at knowing. And you can keep yourself pretty busy reading Romans, Genesis, and the Psalms. And I would say read the book of Proverbs. Oh, I read it. Read Ecclesiastes. Then read First and Second Samuel. <laughs> I'd avoid the Italian books, Malucci, <laughs> Malachi, <laughs> Malachi. That's how you should have said it, Malachi. Uh, you know, read the Bible. Pick pick out a book of the Bible and just read it, and read read it a lot. John MacArthur, in his infinite wisdom, he says, read one book. Until you know that one book really well, then move on. Well, that, that, that sounds doable. That sounds attainable to me. Take the little book of Philippians or Colossians. These are short books, four, four chapters, page and a half in some, some Bible layouts, and just get to know it. And then we have all these wonderful translations of Scripture. They have the King James Version, magnificent. The English Standard Version, glorious. The NIV, so clear and modern and accurate. And then you have these other translations. You have Eugene Peterson's The Message, which is a trip. If your Bible reading has become cold and stale to you, go down and buy yourself one of his, one of his things, The Message, and, and read it. Just Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you can't stand and look at words. Maybe you have dyslexia. That's a real problem. People, people are dyslexic sometimes and have trouble reading. They have this thing called the audio Bible. You can go online. You can download all kinds of Bible apps. Most of them have, have audio features. You can listen to God's Word. Now, I want to give you a caution. If you're going to just listen to God's Word, don't just listen to it only. Because here's what's going to happen. The same thing happens to you in church. When you're sitting in church listening to me talk, what happens to your mind? It wonders, how many of you already thought about supper or lunch or fishing or football? Yeah. I, want you, I really want you to raise your hands. I know we're, we're to aim this sermon next week. <laughs> we're the, you know, there's all these things we think about. So if you're going to listen to the Bible, get yourself a print Bible. It's the same translation. You can get the NIV. You can listen to NIV online or ESV online. Listen to it while following along. Get you a pen, you know, and just kind of go along and just keep up with it. That way you focus your eyes on it and you focus your mind on it, and you'll make great. You'll, you, if you did that for six months, you'll probably be a completely different person because God's Word is like a hammer. It beats on the rock. It breaks the rock. God's word is like fire. It melts us down, makes us pliable and moldable. God's word is like water. It washes us. 
God's Word is like a light in the dark. It guides us. God's Word is like a sword or a staff or a pistol. It comforts you when you're afraid. So, you have to get to know God's Word. So, the Bible is the main way we know what God's will is. And we take what the Bible says and measure. Charles Hodge here in the Biblical Illustrator, he says on this idea of discerning God's will, he says, by what rule are we to determine what is and what is not sinful conformity to the world? How can we know for sure? Well, you have the Bible. Now, what, what, what's acceptable to Christianity kind of changes depending on, depending on the culture that you're in, right? My friend Don Fortner, he said it like this. He said, down south, it's okay for preachers to chew tobacco and smoke pipes and cigarettes and cigars down south. But up north, he said, that's it. You don't do it. But down south, if they caught a preacher drinking a beer or having a glass of wine, They'd run him out of town on a rail so he could smoke, but you couldn't drink. And he said, but them Yankees are different. (laughs) He said, they don't mind a bottle of beer or a glass of wine, but if they caught you smoking, they'd run you out of town on a rail. And that's Don's experience. And that just kind of shows you the difference in culture. Now, I can tell you firsthand, when we moved up here from Oklahoma, alcohol is a much bigger deal here than Oklahoma. And it ain't no lie. I mean, it's, no, it's, it's just, I was, I've been surprised by it. Anyway, I'm not, anyway, I don't want to talk about that too much. Some of you guys all hate me. But you have to have a fixed standard to measure by, right? So I see Tom Sotolsky back there, and Tom's, he's, he's easy to see. He's right there on the end. And, and Tom... He knows how to work a tape measure. Isn't that right, Patty? He can work a tape measure. And I know Jeff Cooper over here, he can work a tape measure too. And I've had the, I've had the, 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 the you know, it's always cool to watch other people work, amen? <laughs> I've seen Tom and Jeff working on stuff back there. They remodeled the office back there. And I see him whipping out them tape measures. And Jeff, he measures and says, I need a board, you know, 24 and 3 eighths. And he calls it out, and Tom whips out his tape measure, measures the board, makes a mark, and whoop, cuts it off. Now, Tom can request 24 and 3 eighths, and Jeff can deliver 24 and 3 eighths because they're both using the same measure, the tape measure. You know, a tape measure can be off a little bit, but not too much. We want, we want to have the same standard. We want to measure everything by the same standard, by God's word. That's why we have to embrace this reality. Let God be true and every man a liar. So if your cousin, your daddy, your mama, your sister, your kid, or mine, says something that, does, that, the, that, says something that is contrary to Scripture, we have to go with the Bible, not what your family says or your friends. And, he, and here, think about this even, okay? Just because I say it don't make it so either, right? Because I am just a dude. I will make mistakes. And I know, and I can tell sometimes when I'm preaching that not everybody agrees with what I'm saying. 
And there's two reasons for that. One is I'm wrong, very rare. (laughs) And the second one doesn't matter. (laughs) So we have to measure by God's word. And we we can't measure by God's word unless we know God's word. And uh, the Bible, kind of the basic idea about the Bible is this. Is everything you need to know, everything God wants you to know about how to live a life that pleases Him is in the Bible. And you're going to have to just take it up yourself. And if you just lean on, if you just depend on other people all the time, you're going to get led astray. Now, the, the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 8. Now, in the authorized version, I know this is true. I'm not sure about other translations. But the only time in the Bible the word success appears in the authorized version is Joshua, chapter 1, verse 8. Listen to the reading here. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God's word is vital to your success as a Christian. And and I think a lot of Christians really mess up their lives because they don't pay any attention to what God's word says. They don't pay attention. And you have to pay attention to what God's word says. It, it's, it's, it, it's important. The psalmist says about God's word, you esteem your words above your own name. So the word of God is going to change the way you think. It's going to change the way you think. But before it can change the way you think, you have to submit to God's word. You have to say, okay, if God's word says it, I'm going to do it, right? You have to have the right mindset. Anybody ever try to coach a little sports team or something? Coach soccer, coach anything like that, basketball? And if, or <laughs> be a teacher. <laughs> you know, if the kids got, got the bad attitude, you're really going to have trouble, aren't you? So you, when you come to God's word, you've got to have a teachable, submissive spirit. Say, okay, I'm going to do what God says here. Now, I'll tell you right now, not everything God says in his word are things, are things you want to do. But there are things that we need to do, things we need to work at doing. Now, there are a lot of things out there that, are, that people say are in God's Word, and you'll find that these things are not in God's Word. But you only know that if you read God's Word. Now, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, because I'm going to bring this sermon to an end in record time. Maybe not. <clears throat> the, the proof. So, verse 1 says... Present yourself a living sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's what he says. The proof that you've done that is, what, is, is your obedience to God. The proof that you have presented yourself to God as a living sacrifice is whether or not you're trying to know and do God's will with your life. Look at this reading. Do not be conformed. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, these are not three levels of God's will. These are just kind of, he's just nailing it home. You want to do God's will. The authorized version and the NIV actually read almost the same way in this section. So, my questions to you are this. Are you trying to live for God? Are, are you... Are you 
trying to obey him? Are you trying to know and do God's will with your life? Is that what you're aiming for? Is that your ambition? And then I'd like to just say, you know, what's holding you back from living that way? What's holding you back from living for God? From making him the boss of your life, saying, I'm going to do whatever God wants. What's, what's holding you back? Now, when I was a kid, I had a lot of reasons, really good reasons, right? I didn't want to do what God wanted me to do, number one, because I didn't like it. I just didn't like it. And I was kind of mad at my dad. I didn't want to be like my dad. So I didn't want to do those things. And then there were some other people I didn't really like. And if I felt if I lived for God, I mean, I'd be like them. You know, so I had, I had reasons. Uh, anyway. But ultimately what you find out is whatever reason you have for not living for God is a bad reason. A bad, it's, a bad, it's, it's, a, it's a bad excuse. What you need to do is live for God. Give yourself to Him and say, Lord, I'm going to live my whole life for you. Tell me what to do. I'm reporting for duty. What shall I do? So no reason you can come up with for not living for God, no reason you can come up with for not knowing His Word is a good one. All right? Now let's look at the rest of the chapter. I do want to give you this little touch here in verses 3 to 8. Because this is where we're going to go next Sunday. It's going to take us the rest of the year to get through these next few verses, I think. Because here in this section, it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. These are giftings or or enablements that we get from the Holy Spirit. They don't come from us naturally. They're something the Holy Spirit gives to us. There's quite a bit to be said about it. And uh, sometimes these things are called serving gifts. Serving gifts. I didn't realize this sermon was this long. <coughs> Valerie didn't give it to me till nine thirty this morning, so I didn't get a lot. Of, <laughs> I didn't get a lot of time to evaluate it. <laughs> So these serving gifts are for you to serve God. And next Sunday, I'm going to tell you about how to serve God. I'm going to tell you where to serve God and how to serve God next Sunday with these serving gifts. And then there's some, there's some other things to talk, to talk about along with the gifts. But you need to be serving God. You need to be living for Him. That's serving Him. Then there are some definite spots and areas where you need to be serving Him. And I'll talk to you about that next Sunday, the Lord willing. And the creek don't rise. Let's pray together, and then we'll uh, we're going to have communion in just a second. Father, thank you for this time to be together with my friends and uh, my friends and my loved ones. And I pray that you would help them to turn their eyes to your holy word. In Christ's holy name, Amen.